the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. But tonight, we are examining perhaps a much, much bigger a mystery. Uh, we examine the recent UFO congressional hearings and what happens next. All this news lately begging the question, are we being visited? And the three guests tonight probably have a much better idea than the rest of us, uh, at least us true crime junkies. So uh, first and foremost, we've got Dan Zetterstrom uh, in the hat facing forward. I had to uh, delineate there, not backwards, but facing forward. Uh, he is co-host of That UFO Podcast, and he's a boots-on-the-ground UAP investigator. Uh, he's appeared in various documentaries, such as Phenomenology. He's also a creative uh, who specializes in art and clothing based around anomalous encounters, spiritual ideas, and other high strangeness, and he just got engaged. Speaking of high strangeness, so uh, congrats to Dan. Kelly Chase. New to the show, she is host of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast, coming to us from Ohio. She is passionate, she says, about leveraging her skills and expertise, I believe in marketing and branding, to support the UFO disclosure movement and all those engaged in the important work of driving forward all of our understanding of who we are as a species and where we fit in the great cosmic order of things Last but not least, with a hat on backwards, and the man has had a long weekend. He's going to probably bounce off after about 45, and he's in the U.K., so it is well into the, uh, almost the early, it is the early morning there, I believe. Vinny is a U.K.-based UFO UAP researcher. He is founder of Disclosure Team, a social media platform and YouTube channel covering many aspects of the UFO phenomenon, including the latest news, case studies, and interviews. He's also a member, as is Dan, I believe, of UAP Media UK and is also a boots on the ground investigator. He heads to Colombia, I think, every year, Colombia, to investigate a 400 year old light phenomenon as part of the phenomenology team. So, uh, just some quick housekeeping notes. Please follow us on Facebook, Insta, Twitter. We are at Podcast SDS. Instagram, it is at Surviving the Survivor. You can support us on Patreon and on YouTube. The merch store is open. And uh, for those of you who are interested in this topic, I did a one-on-one recently with Ross Coulthard, who interviewed the UFO whistleblower, uh, one of the more popular episodes we've ever done check it out. And I'll put a link in uh, in this summary. So just some quick background and then we'll hop into it. Uh, this House Oversight Subcommittee uh, her, had this held this hearing on July 26, obviously a historic day. Uh, it is the Oversight Committee on National Security, the Border and Foreign Affairs. And three former military officials testified before Congress. One was David Grush, a former U.S. intelligence official. Ryan Graves, a former Navy pilot. David Fravor, a former Navy commander. Uh, Vinny, to you first. Um, How monumental a day was this uh, in your estimation? I think it was a very monumental day. I mean, it was only a month or two previous to these hearings that we 
had this bombshell story of David Grush, this former intelligence officer, reveal that over a four-year period, he had been digging really deep into these legacy programs, these crash retrieval programs from from downed UFOs dating back decades. And, you know, that in itself was huge. And, and so the next natural step uh, would be to get him in front of, uh, you know, a congressional hearing and, and there we, we got it. And we, you know, we had some very, very good questions asked by a bipartisan bunch sat up, on, you know, at the front of that room who had obviously prepared. Um, and, you know, it really set the stage for what we want to see going forward. And what Vinny said is important. It was a bipartisan group. So we're talking Democrats and Republicans. This is not a political issue. Uh, you know, those who are not believers or are new to the field like to poke fun at all this. Uh, some of the true crime uh, devotees, I won't name any, Tilo out of Boston, uh, says, hey, I'm not watching this. I don't believe in it. But um, for those who are serious about it, uh, it is important to note that this is not a political issue. Um, it is a you know bipartisan issue. Both sides of the aisle were there and uh, were asking questions. Um, basically, uh, you know, just to break this down a little bit, uh, the belief is uh, from these whistleblowers, guys like David Grush, is that the government knows more about UFOs and, uh, than they're saying. Uh, the House Oversight Committee, uh, as we know, held this hearing um, and heard uh, really mystifying testimony about these unexplained object sightings and government possession of what is now being described as non-human biological matter. Uh, Kelly, to you, uh, same broad-based first question. Uh, what did you make of this hearing? Oh, you're muted. I'm sorry. Just unmute yourself real quick. That is I think dangerous. it was absolutely stunning. We had... Um, it was an incredible day. I think even for those of us in the community who are, you know, very familiar with this story and who had a lot of reason to be hopeful, it went better than we could have hoped because we knew that our that our witnesses were going to show up and that they are solid witnesses. These are highly credible people whose reputations are really beyond reproach. But the thing that we can't control and the thing that, you know, we've only just hoped for in the past was that Congress would show up prepared, informed, and taking this seriously, and understanding the gravity of the situation. And seeing that coming, like we've said, from both sides of the aisle, really pointed questions about not just like, hey, why should we listen to you? Why should we take this seriously? But asking very specific questions, uh, you know, for your true crime people about where the bodies are buried, basically. So... <laughs> A good way to put it for us. And uh, Kelly, I, th I think you're into marketing and branding as your day job and you're in Ohio, the Midwest. What got you interested in this uh, to begin with? Um, it happened really kind of overnight about two years ago. I had had a sighting when I was young and I was going on vacation um, to the Outer Banks, which is where I had my sighting when I was a kid. And I had just sort of heard these stories and the way that a lot of people are right now, you know, they're just, I just started to think about it and wonder, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. And I thought that over my week vacation that I was going to get to the bottom of this whole UFO thing. I thought I'd have it all figured out. Two, more than two years later, I am... I, I don't have any answers whatsoever, but I do know that I am completely compelled that this is a real phenomenon. Um, it has a vast and intricate history, and um, I'm just so, it's something that I can't walk away from. I find it to be the most fascinating, interesting, and important thing going on on the planet. And so I actually walked away from my day job, and I do this full time now. Excellent. And you are trapped in the rabbit hole. We'll see for how yes. long. If we get disclosure, <laughs> maybe you'll come out. Um, Caro here, the questions are coming in already, uh, Dan. 
Uh, admittedly, I know very little about all this. I know very little about most things, which is why I'm the reporter, not the expert. But uh, here you go, Dan from Caro. Uh, can you ask about the Special Intelligence Commission? Heard about it in a recent uh, doc, but see no reference on the Internet. But it exists and they handle the secret programs. Mr. Grush will know of it. Dan, uh, what is Caro talking about here? Caro is likely referencing what we refer to as the Gang of Eight. The Gang of Eight are the people in Congress who have the right clearances and have access to, to have oversight of these programs, or they should. The programs that we're referring to, uh, they're called SAP, Special Access Programs. And as I say, only certain people are allowed to access these. So what you have is a eight elected officials who can interface with someone who is allowed to kind of know what goes on inside these programs. And those people, it seems, uh, having the truth with help from them. They're not being told what programs are running. They're essentially having things hidden from them, putting money into a money hole. That's taxpayer money. Whether you believe in this alien narrative or not, the fact is that money is going into these programs and someone is going to be held accountable. For me, that was one of the big highlights of the hearings, seeing people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez realize that this is a drain on, on you know, humanitarian programs. This is a drain on having more schools built, on helping people in her constituency. People should be incensed about this. And the Gang of Eight is really where, you, you know, the book, book stops with this. They need to be informed. And I have a feeling they'll be getting into a, a skiff, which is a secure location with David Grush real soon to hear the, the direct evidence that he has for what he's saying. And that will uh, indeed be fascinating. I love this comment. If any channel could ever have an actual alien on panel someday, it's this one. Best guess. That's what we pride ourselves on. How do you uh, know we're not? Yeah, <laughs> we do not know that, but uh, the STS chief of everything right here, uh, you better start booking the uh, the aliens for the next show. I expect it. Uh, Catherine Regier, uh, got your thing, have not opened it, just found it. Uh, appreciate it very much. STS Nation is the best. They look out for uh, us. We look out for them. We look out for each other. So uh, thank you so much. Um, Vinny? I'm just going to take questions and uh, intertwine what we've got. I am not T-Pain, by the way. I never knew for you guys uh, that T-Pain was a rapper. Never heard of this guy, <laughs> um, which goes to show that I'm getting too old too fast. Uh, but this is, I am not T-Pain. Is it possible that aliens are walking amongst us? And do you believe they have the technology possible to blend in with all of us and have been walking among us for years without us knowing? Fascinating question. Vinny, what say you? Um, just before I answer the question, I just want to kind of let people know that when we talk about UFOs and UAP, we don't jump straight to its aliens. This is kind of why we research this and we try and look at declassified government documents, because what we do know is that there are anomalous objects seen in the sky by millions of people across the planet, but also credible, you know, military personnel uh, and things like that. So we don't just assume that because we don't know what it is, it's aliens. But because the question was asked this way, is it possible? I think anything's possible at the moment. So yeah, there is always going to be the possibility that they are walking among us if they are aliens and they are here. Um, I think until we have definitive proof of everything, everything has to remain on the table as a possibility. Obviously, some things are probably more likely to be possible than others. So, you know, maybe everyone has their own scale of possibility. But yeah, why not? Everything's possible. Can, and, can uh, I jump in? Yeah, uh, sorry, on that one. No, 
Go ahead, just want to add that, you know, the way that the question was asked suggests, you know, are the beings from outer space coming here and, and wearing disguises walking amongst us? That that kind of idea that they hear and walking amongst us can happen in much more subtle ways too. There's something called panspermia that we think, you know, the guys that discovered DNA, Sir Francis Crick, he thinks that life came here on the back of a, an asteroid that was from another solar system. Now we could be talking about microbes, about small bacteria kind of getting into our bodies and changing our biology. That can happen over millions of years. So I just wanted to put that much more subtle, realistic idea of, you know, hybrids or walking amongst us out there to, to consider. Yeah, and I, I just want to make the point uh, to everyone that uh, Vinny, Dan, and Kelly, this is, a, you, heard, you heard Kelly say it's a full-time job, and I think it is for Dan and Vinny as well. Uh, they really, they pour over government documents. Uh, there are literally millions of sightings that there have been uh, around the world and a sighting does not, as Vinny said, equate necessarily to, uh, you know, aliens like we've seen in uh, the movie E.T. But uh, these guys are serious researchers, uh, travel around the world literally uh, to examine all this stuff. So uh, I have a lot of respect for them. And, uh, you know, I say in jest sometimes, but if there is disclosure and, and we are definitely heading in that direction, um, and if it comes to fruition, this will be the biggest story ever in the world without question. I just saw Oppenheimer in the movies, fantastic movie, uh, a major, major story, uh, the dropping of the uh, atom bomb. But uh, this, this, there's no comparison. If we are dealing with alien life on this planet, uh, rest assured, uh, we will move on from uh, Donald Trump, 24 hours a day on CNN, and we'll be hearing a lot more about this. Um, back to this committee meeting. So uh, lawmakers, to that point, acknowledge testimony is really baffling. And again, it was a bipartisan concern, uh, including uh, the fact that it raises national security issues. Robert Garcia, um, the representative, uh, I'm not sure what state he is from. Uh, that has slipped my mind, but he's the top Democrat on this on this particular subcommittee. And here's a quote. And Kelly, I'll, I'll throw this to you. The quote from Robert Garcia. The sheer number of reports, whistleblowers and stories of unidentified anomalous phenomena should raise real questions and warrant investigation and oversight. And that is why we are here today. He said that in his opening, UAPs, whatever they may be, may pose a serious threat to our military or civilian aircraft, and that must be understood. Um, my, my title of this was something along the line, Democrat from California, thank you, CTO. Um, but um, my point is, has the tide changed? The, the title for this is, you know, we had this UFO hearing, but did anyone listen? Do you believe these members really listened and want to know and want to take this forward? I do. And that's really exciting to see. I mean, like I said, they were asking extraordinarily specific questions, um, not just like chasing down the sensational angle of this, but really asking questions about how is this being funded and who is involved? And so Although maybe the American people aren't quite to the point, I don't know if we've seen a tide change in terms of the public opinion yet. I really believe that that's coming because in Congress, this seems to have gained a momentum that can't be turned back. We have new legislation being introduced in the Senate by um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer that um, it's the UAP Disclosure Act of 2023. Love that name. And it makes me very excited. Um, 
but within that legislation, you know, they outline in the beginning of the legislation why they wrote the legislation. And one of the reasons that they wrote that they wrote this legislation is that they have heard credible testimony that the government is hiding information about UAPs. And they didn't just say that, but they said specifically that they're using um, this Atomic Energy Act and the specific language within that act that they're using to like declassify and to classify things that they shouldn't be classifying or overclassifying things that they shouldn't be overclassifying. And so we know that like, this isn't just that they've heard some things and they're suspecting and they're on a fishing mission to see what they can find. They have details and they know where to look. And so I don't think that this is something that's going to be able to put back into the box again. Mm. Um, Sally Vela, Vinny, um, you, you guys specifically have kind of been going up and down escalator, going against the current for many years. But uh, do you think because this technology is held secret, we still won't be told everything because of whatever excuse they come with uh, to not tell us? Uh, what's your reaction to Sally's comment? It's a really, really good question. And when she says the excuse that they come up with, there is no longer a they. This isn't just one government that wants to keep this a secret. We have many whistleblowers testifying behind the scenes in private um, skiffs, secure secure rooms, two members of Congress under oath as well. David Grush, who did appear at the hearings, has spoken to 40 witnesses, some who have worked directly with this technology. They have had their hands on it. They've seen it. They're aware of it. And they, they, we are told, are likely to come forward in the future. If this all plays out the way that we're told it's going to be played out, then we will learn more information. And rather than just thinking and believing that what we're told is going to happen, we have to go back a few years and see everything that was said you know, a few years ago has also come to fruition. So that feels like the ball is continuously moving down the field. Uh, and there are some very serious people from the government, from the intelligence community, who do want to see this information made public. And I think that that's where we're at. We have people on our side. It's not just they don't want to give it to us because they is split into two sides now. And uh, shout out to Frankie Figs, who's a friend of the show. Uh, but Vinny, back to you. Uh, you know, you guys are constantly hitting walls and trying to get, you know, to the bottom of it, to get to the the magic word of disclosure. Um, and some of those people are obviously the skeptics. I've had Michael Shermer, a very well-known skeptic on the show, uh, and he's got an answer for pretty much everything. Um, you know, this image is zoomed in too much. This image is not what you think it is. Uh, but, you know, they come out and they say things are attributable to balloons, drones, optical illusions, even lights blinking. Uh, even the Pentagon has come out and said they have seen no real evidence. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, how do you uh, toe the line with skeptics? Um, do you pay attention to them? Do you is I mean, do you do you debate with them? I t generally don't tend to debate with them. The one thing, the way I look at it is everyone's entitled to come at this from their own angle. They can have their own opinion. I tend not to focus on everything that's too blurry or it may be a balloon. I tend to think of things when you look back at Project Blue Book, which, which was the official Air Force program from uh, from the 50s that ended in 69. And, you know, they said that out of all these thousands of cases that there was nothing to see here. But what they didn't say is that there were 701 cases that they could not resolve. They had no idea about. And these, again, were objects performing strange capabilities back in the 50s and 60s that we just could not attribute to a human technology, but they don't talk about that. So, you know, I'm going to come at it from, well, I'm going to just keep looking 
I'm just going to keep looking and find that very, very small percentage of cases, which really does point to something that is beyond our capability as a human species. And that's the way I'm going to look at it. Skeptics can do their thing. They can have their say. Everyone's voice should be heard. You know, we d- I don't want to live in an echo chamber. Some people probably say I do, but I don't believe I do. I will listen to everybody. I have good friends who are skeptics and we have really interesting conversations, but we remain respectful. And I think that's what it comes down to. So, yeah, I think that's really where I come at, come at it from. And uh, Andres giving uh, Vinny and Danzi a shout out. And uh, Anna here uh, coming to us from Santiago de Chile. Welcome. Uh, global show. Uh, Chelsea Whitaker. Uh, do we know where Carm is? I can tell you firsthand. She has not been abducted. Um, she is uh, now a great-grandmother, tending to great-grandmother duties, and she will be back uh, on the show hopefully one week from Sunday. Uh, and then, look at this, STS Nation. I said that we look out for each other. Congratulations to Dan on the engagement. So uh, there you go. Um, Dan, speaking of Dan, this is for you. Um I checked out Ross Coulthart's uh, Twitter feed just before coming on and about 30 minutes before the show, he actually tweeted from Australia, I believe. Uh, and it was from a federal DOD employee, a guy on Twitter who you may know goes by Mevon Wren, um, Move on Wren, I guess. It's, uh, he's a former DOD guy. Um, and he says, Ross does, in, in uh, reaction to a tweet from this person, says that Congress already has UAP evidence Two senior politicians, members of the key oversight committees, either confirm there's firsthand evidence from witnesses claiming to know of the program, or they admit intense evidence that they are not yet authorized to reveal. Uh, What do you make of that? That's really interesting because what what we have to remember is that there is no provision in law for someone to reveal classified information because it's for the public good. This is one of the arm wrestling arm wrestles that we're seeing right now. Essentially, we have two factions, like Vinny said, inside one who wants it out and one who wants to keep it a secret. We don't know the reasons for each yet. The, the ones who want it out, like David Grush, seem to be in Congress saying that he, he feels it's for the public good. But unfortunately, if someone was to come forward and reveal classified information, they would just be arrested. You know, they, they would just essentially be giving themselves a pat on the back whilst in a jail cell for the rest of their lives. This is where the legislation comes in. It's giving people like David Grush and other whistleblowers who say they've seen direct evidence essentially a a window, an opportunity to come forward and share what they know, share what they've experienced objectively, you know, with without judgment, um, and show the world essentially what the US government apparently has on the table. I've heard that it's many different organizations, so it's not necessarily that we're looking at one. But the idea is that something is housed in private aerospace or industry has been since, you know, Roswell and before. Um, the Department of Energy were also implicated during the hearings. And, and it's interesting that they're involved because they keep our nuclear secrets. And they were actually, the beginnings were the Atomic Energy Commission way back when, near enough to, to the Roswell crash. And if there was, for example, a power source that was as lofty as a nuclear power source, the Atomic Energy Commission would be exactly who looks after that. So I was glad to see them flagged in the hearing. I'm glad to see that Congress has been switched on to looking at them. And hopefully people, you know, your audience and people in the UFO community are now looking a bit more at the Department of Energy. 
with the people who say they've seen direct evidence uh, and, you know, spoken to people who have had their hands on this, these materials, that's really something to come for us. I personally very much look forward to the day where, you know, these people are told to essentially put up or shut up. Um, there's, a, there's a big provision in the legislation now that they can do that. So people like Bob Lazar who, who say, you know, I have element 115 and that's an alien isotope and element and, and I can prove it. This is his moment to come forward and really show the world exactly, you know, what, what it is he saw that convinced him this is extraterrestrial without, and I'm touching on something Vinny said earlier, without a point of origin, we don't know that this stuff is extraterrestrial. We just know there's something other. There are many different theories from ultra-terrestrial, which is kind of a dimensional aspect to, to the idea you know we have multiple dimensions in the universe all the way to we share the planet with the species who who are very good at hiding um only this year did a paleontologist lee berger reveal that he actually found a kind of a missing link to humanity's past the assumption was that you know we'd been here for thousands of years and, and developing the assumption was that we have a big brain and therefore we're a complex culture that, you know, mourns our dead, that creates art and, you know, practices symbology and, and communication. Turns out that these beings, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago um, were doing all of this before us. They were using fire in the ceremonial practices. So the, the lens is really starting to open up on what this could be. And all this, you, you know, the hearings and all that we're doing, myself, Kelly and Vinny, is to say, ask the question, there's something here. Be curious about it. Curiosity should lead science. And Dan, you mentioned Bob Lazar. Um, what must the pressure be like on him? Um, and maybe he just ignores it completely, but by the community to reveal the information that he had, that he says he has. It must be enormous. And every time that I hear an answer to why isn't he coming forward, the answer is apparently because Bob doesn't know the UFO community anything. My feelings on the matter is that he owes humanity that proof if he's holding it, just like David Grush feels like it's owed to humanity to reveal what he knows and all of these direct witnesses. So it'll be, you know, time, time will tell whether Bob Lazar is going to come forward, but this is this is his moment and others like him. I think the treatment of David Grush during and after the hearings has been respectful. Really, it, it showed anyone that wanted to come forward that they can comfortably do so now. And Kelly, what do you think the pressure is like on David Grush right now? Honestly, I can't imagine. And I think that what people have to understand is that we've heard not just from David Grush, but also from members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, that whistleblowers aren't just being threatened with retaliation in terms of their jobs and their careers, but that they are in fear of their lives. And so we have to understand that like, David Grush is a patriot. He's doing something that not very many people would be willing to do to put themselves in the line of fire like that, to put their own life at risk, to do something just because they think it's the right thing to do. So I really can't imagine what that pressure might must be like. And I think it's really clear why his reputation is so sterling and why he's been trusted with some of our nation's greatest secrets, because he's really demonstrated himself to be a man of just extreme integrity. And uh, CTO, we'll come back to this question, but I want to bring this up because this is what Kelly's talking about. John Moran says, every other whistleblower goes to jail or has to flee. What's the difference here? And then he goes on to mention Snowden. Um, I think I shared this story maybe with you guys last time, but um, as an investigative reporter for the Fox station in New York, I did a story where a whistleblower from the FAA came forward 
and said that air traffic controllers were asleep on the job um, at the Westchester County Airport, which at the time this was going on was the airport that then President Barack Obama was flying in and out of. They were dead asleep. They were using laptops, which are forbidden in there. They were using cell phone video and he got us all this video um, and then was promptly fired and uh, was made to look like an outcast. So, Vinny, um, it is a dangerous proposition to be a whistleblower, isn't it? It is, absolutely. But the one good thing and the reason why it's different here is each year we are seeing stricter and stronger legislation being put forward in the National Defense Authorization Act and the Intelligence Authorization Act. And, you know, this is what we got last year at the end of December for the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023 is we had the whistleblower protection where anybody who had worked or knows any information on these uh, special access programs with regards to these materials and these objects can come forward in a secure way and give Congress the information on it without fear of reprisal or retaliation. David Grush actually helped to write the language in that. And then lo and behold, David Grush came forward. You just have to look at his credentials as well uh, of the jobs and the positions of that he's been in in his career. You know, this is a highly credible individual who has done the work behind the scenes and has now under oath provided it to Congress. If he is lying or misleading the, the Congress and, and the lawmakers, then he will end up in prison. He will be in jail for a very long time. So there is a lot of credibility to this and he is protected now. And we need those whistleblower uh, laws in place for sure, because uh, we know uh, the government doesn't always uh, tell us exactly what we need to know. So we've got to, in that sense, be skeptical and uh, definitely have these laws in place. Um, Dan, to you, uh, the outgoing Joint Chiefs of Staff, you don't get much higher than that, uh, under both President Trump and uh, current President Joe Biden. Uh, his name is Mark Milley. He's an Army general. And uh, he came out. Uh, he's doing an exit interview of sorts with a bunch of media outlets and called the uh, testimony weird and unexplainable. Uh, and then specifically about David Grush, he said the guy was under oath. I'm sure that he was trying to say whatever he thought was true. I'm not going to doubt his testimony or anything like that. Um, he doesn't sound very confident and he doesn't sound like he's much of a believer. Um, it's like you take two steps forward and one step back every time. Is it frustrating to hear the outgoing Joint Chiefs of Staff speaking this way? In a way, yes. In a way, no. Because ultimately, he's not the guy in charge anymore. He can think what he wants. point is, the government and the people in government are the ones who are interested and they're doing the investigation. We're often seeing this comment about you know, Grush and his body language and things like that. And Ross actually revealed that Grush is autistic. Um, and it turns out that, you know, autistic people don't act like the rest of us when they're under pressure and things like that. I thought Grush during the hearing was almost night and day difference from his interview with Ross, which was one of his, you know, first appearances. It takes a little while to get used to even being on camera and no one's there, even on this level, you know, talking to you, Joel. But Grush, you know, another thing about uh, autistic people is they seem to have a incredibly great and solid moral backbone. They can't see injustices done in society. And I think that's what we're seeing here from David Grush. He's saying the truth like he knows it. And then we have people like Mark Milley, like Neil Tyson DeGrasse, or DeGrasse Tyson, I always mix that up. Um, but we have them out there essentially saying that because it's weird to them, it's not true. 
which is just kind of silly. At some point in the past, telling someone that the, the Earth didn't go around the sun or it does go around the sun was weird. Telling someone the rocks fell from the sky like, um, you know, meteors do. That was supposed to be weird. But what happened there was the education systems got better. The children of these farmers who were seeing meteors fall from the sky became the very scientists investigating them. And opinions shift to the point where today we're just like, yeah, rocks fall from the sky. It's a, it's a natural process. So one day this will be seen as nature. But right now it's seen as supernatural because it's just outside of the realms of, of you know what many of us think is possible. But the fact is the universe is weirder and we keep finding this out every every year. The James Webb telescope is showing us that there's you know a lot more time than we thought before us now in the Big Bang and there were more galaxies at the beginning of the universe. And we're challenging our perceptions all the time. So to people like Mark Milley, I would just say challenge your perceptions. Take these people seriously. These were the guys who, you know, David Fraven, for example, He's the guy that was called on 9-11 to protect the, you, you know, the, t the towers. We have to take these people seriously. They're not mincing words. They're not making things up. They're just relaying what they've seen. And we have to run with the investigation and try to define the unknown. Hmm. Um, Mary and I, has this comment, and I, I just learned from Dan uh, about this autism spectrum of David Grush. I did not know that, but uh, Kelly, it might make sense in answering this question. I don't want to be difficult, but the body language experts, whoever they are, say that the UFO guy, Grush, is lying. I'm not poking fun, though. Do you guys disagree? Uh, did anything stand out to you about David Grush's testimony that seemed insincere or disingenuous in any way? No, and I'd say, I mean, I think Dan's points about, you know, him being autistic have a, are really important. I also think that, I mean, body language is, I mean, it's a soft science at best, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It can be used as a tool, but I don't think any of us, if we were in a court of law, would want to be decided our guilt or innocence based on our body language. You know, we, I think that what we really need to be looking at here, it's really easy to dismiss these things because they fall so far outside of our worldview that it's really easy to like grab onto one little detail and be like, oh, well, it's not real. I can go back to my normal life, you know? Um, and I think we need to be careful not to do that. We really need to, you know, take the body language expert's opinion as a data point, but continue to dig, continue to look at the harder evidence and then make up your opinion and make up your mind from there. And uh, Kelly, you tweeted this out. I love this. Uh, I'm going to make my kids read this, even though they won't understand it. Uh, <laughs> cynicism, she tweeted, is for the lazy and the fearful. Don't let yourself get trapped in those tar pits. And then right on cue, we get this comment. Uh, from Ajar Viss, wake up, it's distraction, nothing more. What's your response, Kelly, after that tweet? I mean, I think that that's the easy answer. And, you know, that's not to say that it's couldn't potentially be right. But what I don't see with people who say that is a lot of evidence, you know? If you're always pointing to the past and saying, well, it's always been this way, and so that means it's always going to be that way, I just don't really, that's not something that I think is, uh, that I can really get behind. You know, what we're seeing, I always believe in the goodness of people. Everybody is flawed. Nobody's perfect. But I think we have to leave room for flawed people to act heroically. And I think that what we're seeing with David Grush right now and with a lot of these other high-level intelligence officials, who, by the way, this hasn't come out of nowhere. This has been a very long, a years-long effort to get to this point that we're having these hearings. You know, Let's give their, let's let there be room for things to be different. If we think that things can't be different, then they'll never be different.
And so, you know, let's give these people a chance to act differently. Let them, let's give them a chance to surprise us. It doesn't mean you don't need to be skeptical. We should be skeptical and we should be questioning every part of this. But, you know, let's give people a chance to change our minds. And I, I just want to quickly say one point to the distraction comment, because I see that an awful lot uh, of people saying this is nothing but a distraction. And my respectful response to that is usually, are you distracted? And they say, oh, no, no, no. Well, what makes you think that everybody else is distracted? Are we still talking about all the other things that are happening in the world? Absolutely. So there is really no distraction happening. That's the that's what I see. And Vinny, I probably asked you this the first go around, but what got you so interested? I mean, you're in the UK, fun place, cool, cool, uh, cool place to be. Uh, you could be doing a lot of other things, but why, uh, why UAPs, UFOs, and disclosure? I mean, I always had an interest in space uh, and astronomy and and science fiction, even from a very young age, and. I always kind of wondered, you know, what was out there in the vastness of space. And then, you know, I, I just started watching a lot more UFO documentaries and things like that. And it always obviously left me with a lot more questions than answers from it. And so that's when I first began digging into declassified government archives and realizing that there's an awful lot of information already out there in the public domain where people can go and start piecing together this puzzle very slowly, I admit. But, you know, I've done that over the last 15 years and it really does point to something anomalous being there. Now I just need to fill in those really important blanks with with the data that is now starting begin, uh, beginning to start to be talked about and, and potentially even come out. Yeah, there, there's always seismic changes. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you, you could never miss a big sporting event there like a Simone Biles because of a mental health issue. Uh, now they're all talking about it. People are taking breaks. Mental health is out in the open as it should be. Uh, and this is, you know, that's one example. So things change, opinions change, and uh, it might be the case with uh, UAPs and UFOs. Jory says, I believe there is no way we're alone. I think this is interesting because I think a lot of people, uh, like Vinny just said, they, they, you know, they contemplate this. It's the vastness of the universe. Um, I do believe there are deep water inhabitants, not outer space, in my honest opinion, uh, the aerial beings, in my opinion, are heavenly beings of some sort, just my two cents. And then you get this comment from Brenda Redman. I am 60 years old. I'm so thrilled that we're finally having this conversation. I found out 40 years ago, I've waited four decades. So it sounds like she saw something and has been waiting a long time for confirmation that what she saw was something legitimate. Um, Dan checked out your Twitter feed as well. You were talking about an upcoming NASA report. What is that all about? So last year or in the last year or so, NASA convened a panel of experts to just basically take a look at and answer the question, hey, if we go, we're going to study UAP, what tools and resources do we have that we could bring to bear on the problem? These various experts, so everyone from, you know, Nat, Dr. Nadia Drake, uh, daughter of Sir Francis Drake, who came up with the Drake equation, uh, that, that's a famous one. I, I'd recommend people look it up uh, if they're not sure about it. But they, they've been looking essentially and will be presenting a report on how to study the UAP problem. So right up till now, all we have are essentially gun camera videos. A gun camera isn't a scientific instrument. It's great in a theater of war where, you know, you just need to target a blob that you know is an enemy aircraft. But when it comes to actually 
you know, scanning something and getting its signature and seeing what it's made of and how fast it's traveling and things like that. We need science on this problem now. And NASA are essentially proposing uh, a scientific study of this. Now, I've seen a lot of people kind of say what, you know, NASA are going to come out and say that aliens don't exist, UAP don't exist, um, and that it's going to be a cover-up. I like to kind of try and get expectations set properly. So right from the get-go, NASA said this is just an exploratory panel in terms of research. This isn't a study on UAP itself. What will happen when this report comes out is if NASA think that this is something they want to do and there's demand for it, then they will apply the resources and we'll see the actual results of that study in maybe a year or so. So what I'd recommend is if everybody wants to see this NASA study happen, get in touch with NASA, send them an email, send an email to your reps as well to fund this. We NASA has so many resources, so many satellites up in the sky tracking so many different aspects of, you know, cos uh, cosmic rays, everything down to water flow, to weather patterns and things like that. Chances are somewhere in that data, there's some UFO data, right? So Let's see what they have. Let's get their resources on that. And let's just, you know, genuinely support them and let them have their shot at, at just looking at this problem. And uh, I'm going to give you a good old news piece. Captain Kirk, otherwise known as William Shatner, I think 91 years old. The guy looks amazing. Uh, he came out, had some stuff to say about this. And we'll get to that toward the end of the show and get these guys' comments on it. Uh, I want to get to some of the main uh claims uh, and highlights from this actual hearing and then, you know, what's coming after that. Uh, but first, this question from Carolina Garcia. Uh, back to you, Kelly. Are there specific individuals, agencies, or organizations that should be brought forward for further questioning following these testimonies? So this is the sort of what comes next. What's your uh, take on this? Well, David Grush should be the person to ask. He has said that he knows specifically who they should talk to next. Um, but in my opinion, the places that I would look just based on the research that I've done, um, I think obviously the Department of Energy we've already talked about. I think the Department of Energy would be a great place to start. Um, the Air Force is conspicuously silent on this issue. You know, we're hearing from all of these military pilots. It's Navy pilots that we're hearing from. And yet somehow all of these things are happening up in the air, and yet the Air Force somehow knows nothing about this whatsoever. And so that that's always seemed a little fishy that they're so silent on this issue. Um, you know, and then there's also organizations outside of our government. You know, a lot of this, a lot of the questioning about how these things are being funded, you know, David Grush said specifically in the hearing, he was asked, you know, is one way that these are being these programs being funded, is it that government contractors are overcharging for things and then funneling that money into these secret programs? And he said that, yes, that was one way that this was being funded. So we have to understand that there's a lot of government contractors like, you know, potentially Lockheed Martin or some of these other um, aerospace and defense companies that we need to be looking closely at as well, because by outsourcing some of this work into private um, companies, that suddenly makes it a lot easier for the government or whatever powers that be that are behind this to kind of squirrel these things away and away from government oversight. Yeah. Can I just follow up on that? Because we have seen new languages again written up uh, to potentially be passed later in the year on the the contractors, the private contractors, both past and present, are now given 60 days to acknowledge that they have this technology to the government, and then 180 days following that to present this technology to the government, which then, after 30 days, goes to Congress. Quite complicated there, but this is, again, more 
language and legislation pointing towards non-governmental entities to come, really come forward with this information. Now, whether they do, that's a completely different story. But again, this is the kind of, we're seeing this language really honing in on where these technologies may lie. Uh, there's some interesting questions here. I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, Cakes Boo, uh, Vinny, we'll toss it back to you. Why would they, I guess, extraterrestrials or people from a, a non-humans, why would they be interested in our military bases as the whistleblowers indicated? Is it that they're interested in the uh, military bases or just that this is where we've collected some of this stuff? It's, it's, a, yeah, you, you mentioned that there. Yeah, we have a lot of sensor systems obviously covering our military bases. We, so, you know, they're bound to see strange things if they're there and they're going to, you know, these are credible witnesses and trained observers who see these things. But also a lot of cases that come from these military bases are where nuclear weapons and, and nuclear assets are stored. And if, you know, it's been said that there is a nuclear connection that after we started testing the, the atomic bombs back in, back in the day that, you know, there were a lot of UFO sightings. We've had credible witnesses testify under oath again to Congress who worked at these military bases where nukes were stored, who had seen obvious strange objects performing, you know, characteristics again that do not lend itself to human technology. So, you know, it could be that, or it could just be that they, they see us as a warmongering civilization and they're concerned about that. I mean, there are many theories and I think they're all worth considering. Yeah, um, and Vinny, just since I know you've got to jump in a minute, just we'll toss this one to you as well from Wise okay. Monkey. Uh, this is an interesting question too, uh, hypothetically. Uh, if the Phoenix Lights happen tomorrow with social media and tech the way it is, wouldn't that be an unambiguous, uncontrolled disclosure against government's interests? Why would they risk it? Meaning, why would they risk not telling us stuff? Um, how has the game shifted uh, in light of, you know, the emergence of technology? I mean, everyone's got a camera now. That's true. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is that these cameras on, on our iPhones and everything, they're not made to pick up objects in the sky. You know, you see a lot of times people try and take photographs of an airplane in the sky and it turns out to look, look like a white blob. And then we see a lot of people sending these videos to people like myself saying, look, I caught a Tic Tac on camera. So, you know, technology has come on leaps and bounds, but we're still not at that point where we can just say, well, why are we not seeing hundreds of videos, UFOs? We've all got a, a camera in our pocket on our phones. The, there's that aspect to it, you know. So, yeah, you know, in the social media world, as far as if a huge craft like the Phoenix Lights, which, which was purported to be a mile-wide boomerang-shaped object, you know, cruising slowly across multiple states, yes, if that happened now, it maybe it would be disclosure coming from the public rather than from the government. I don't know what... I don't know what that would do. I think it would be incredible. We can just all, you know, pack up and go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, to that point, Dan, uh, and, and Vinny, love to have you. Whenever you have to go, you just drop out. Um, there's supposed to be uh, big news, according to Mary, uh, coming about UFOs. Was it just the whistleblower or do you think we will get to see evidence soon? This is kind of the what's next question. Um, but has the uh, sort of the cascade of events uh, become too much, Dan, um, that other whistleblowers now um, are, are almost um, undoubtedly going to have to come forward. Uh, what's your take? Um, has has the process, is it too forward in its motion right now? Yeah, I think so. We, we always hear about people worrying that, you know, the cat's going to go back in the bag, the ketchup in the bottle. We use, hear various analogies. But the truth is, this has gone too far now. 
Congress is running with it. People who are not even looking at this as, as a UAP issue are running with it and looking at it as a, as a tax and you know money issue being held to account by the public that elected them, where we're seeing essentially the, the groundwork being laid for a whole host of other witnesses to come forward. As I touched on earlier, you know, Ross and other people that I speak to are, are all saying that the direct witnesses, the people who had hands-on with this stuff, all thought the grush was treated respectfully and are even more likely to come forward in the near future than they were before. When you think about a you know, a story being rolled out, there really needs to be a kind of an easier to follow narrative. And what better than something sensational like the the claims that, you know, David Grush has brought forward. All of us are on our tippy toes now kind of saying it's true or it's not true, but we all want to know whether it's real. We all want to see this direct evidence. So I think the next few steps are going to be speaking to some of those people, hearing those direct witnesses talk under oath, where they can actually show us the stuff that David Grush saw and, and can ultimately convince him. We're also going to probably see a, you know, a central reporting system, increased collaboration. We're going to be having more hearings. Media have covered it more than ever, you know, arguably, and I, I think it's safe to say that this subject is more popular than it's ever been. We're in the age of communication now. You know, David Grush says he saw alien bodies. Everyone around the world knows within 60 minutes after that. We're not, it's not like it was back in Roswell where the news took ages to travel. This, for me, is is one of the reasons why I think this is coming out now. People can talk faster. We can share our ideas faster. We can share our sources faster. So essentially, we're drilling down to to the truth. And it's going to be interesting when that happens because there's going to be a lot of people in the community and, you know, the UFO community who, in spite of hearing, you know, what might be the complete utter whole truth, still disagree with it and think a cover-up's happening. We're also going to see a lot of people who, you know, they kind of people who will sell crystals and things like that at, you know, conventions and, and talk about fifth density beings and things, you know, that kind of stuff. We're going to see them carry on their businesses as if nothing has happened and say that there's still something out there, even if we were to meet aliens on the White House floor. The reactions to this are going to be incredible watching it going forward. And for me, at least, that that's my fascination with this is that human angle. It's how we're processing it with the lenses that we have that society gave us. And also, it kind of holds up a mirror to us and asks us what it means to be human. How do we want to present ourselves to another species? Is it a warmongering species? Is it people that are obsessed with TikTok? Is it people that are obsessed with the shiniest new gadget? Or is it the connection that people like us feel and you, know, you feel with Calm Joe? Is it that connection of love that's important and makes us unique? It's a really fascinating conversation and it touches on every subject across the whole world. Um, David Brown has an interesting comment. Since Vinny, since you're still here, I'm getting nervous you're going to leave. I'm going to throw this to you, and then Kelly will come to you in a second. Uh, where are the large ships being held? This is um, something that came up, obviously, with Ross Coltheart, Um, and I tried to press him on it. Uh, he's not an easy guy to press because, number one, he's a trained attorney. Number two, he's an amazing journalist. And number three, he's super smart. Um tried to get at least uh, the first letter of a country or something. But um, Vinny, for those who don't know, what's this all about? And uh, do you have any insider info or any theory on where these large UFO ships are being stored? There's at least one they say is so big, they had to build something around it to keep it uh, hidden, I guess. That's right. Yeah. So Ross Coulthard obviously said that what if there was a ship so big, they had to build a building around it and it lies in a country outside of the United States. 
And, uh, you know, I, I watched you speak with Ross and you did push him. And ever since that episode aired, we have had people saying, you know, they've been scouring Google Earth and Google Maps, finding these saucer shaped buildings all over the world saying this is this is this could be it and, and i think but i think that's where we're at with this conversation we don't know we don't have the information i haven't heard anything from my sources on this i would absolutely love to know and i mean if this turns out to be a true story which i hope it is that we have a, a huge craft in a building you know i'd Maybe when we get disclosure, it'll just become a museum and we all get to go and visit it. I, I mean, that would be amazing. But <laughs> but on that note, Joel, I, I am going to have to leave. But thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor as always. Uh, Danny, I really appreciate it. Awesome to see you. We'll have you back soon. Thank you, man. Kelly, thank you. See brother. you later, guys. Bye, Bye friend. Um, so, Kelly, um, kind of want to highlight uh, some of the uh, salient points from this uh, committee hearing that happened on July 26th. Um, the first one uh, we talked about is the U.S. government uh, is in possession of UAPs. The star, obviously, was David Grush. Uh, he's a former U.S. intelligence official, uh, and he told the panel this that he is, quote unquote, absolutely certain that the federal government is in possession of UAPs. And he cited interviews with 40 witnesses over a four year period. Um, he uh, led. Defense Department efforts to try to analyze uh, reported UAP sightings. Um, here's a guy with tons of credibility with so much to lose. Um, again, I mean, we've, we're just kind of underscoring it at this point, but do you think he'd be fool enough, foolish enough to go under oath where he could be sent to prison without truly believing uh, what he has heard and these people who have said it to him? No, I really don't think that he would be. And I think that um, if these were just stories that he had heard, you know, this was just sort of like lunchroom talk or something that he heard over drinks one night from somebody. Um, you know, we have to understand that this was a man who was charged with um, briefing the president on UAPs, briefing Congress on UAPs. So this is someone that we've placed a high degree of trust in, and he's a very high-level intelligence official. And so he's not going to just hear any rumor that he picks up and be like, oh, that sounds right. I think it's probably true, and run with that and then go talk about it under oath because he understands deeply the consequences of that. Um, and he's also someone who has been trusted as an investigator, like his role within the various organizations that he's worked with, including the UAP task force, was as an investigator. So you, you, we have to assume that the stories that he was told, we know that he was given, um, he says that he was given images, videos, documents to back all of this up. And not only is he saying that under oath in front of Congress, but he also said that he turned it over to multiple inspectors general of the United States, including the intelligence community inspector general. And so for him to be willing to do all of that and to put that amount of skin in the game um, and basically show his cards to the exact people that he needs to show his cards to, it would be foolish of him to do something like that if he didn't have the goods to back it up. We also um, we also have an inspector general who actually became a lawyer when he left service. And he's actually representing David Grush as well. In the hearing, if you watch David Grush, he's being uh, whispered in the ear. Uh, that gentleman that's whispering to him is in fact an ex-inspector general. So even his lawyer isn't messing around. It seems to lend credence to the fact that there is something here and it's earth shattering. Quick uh, commercial break here. SGS is going to be at CrimeCon this year. 
If you plan to go, don't forget to swing by the STS booth. We're going to be there on Podcast Row. And uh, we'll give a shout out to uh, the UFO and UAP peeps as well. But uh, we will be at CronCon this year, uh, September 22nd. Um, This is sort of multi-layered, this whole hearing. So uh, just to get through this, Dan, I'm going to come back to you. So Grush went on to inform the committee of what he called a multi-decade Pentagon program that worked to collect and reconstruct crashed UAPs. I mean, this is wild when you think about it. So they wanted, they were collecting and basically back engineering uh, these ships that they were finding. Uh, at one point, Representative, Representative Jared Moskowitz out of Florida, a Democrat, um, he, he asked David Grush, well, how is this effort being funded? And is it being bankrolled by a misappropriation of funds? Uh, the direct quote was, does that mean that there is money in the budget that is set to go to a program, but it doesn't and it goes to something else? And David Grush's answer was, yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Again, this is crazy when you really step back just a half inch and think about this. This is a high level intelligence official basically saying to a sitting member of Congress, there is a secret program uh, revolving around UAPs. Uh, Dan, is that shocking to you, even after all the time you spent um, working on this, uh, to hear this uh, on the floor of Congress? Yeah, it absolutely is shocking. Even though I'm in this kind of day in, day out, you know, Ke- Kelly kind of knows the feeling where we're always digging and always kind of finding smoke and thinking, oh, there's fire here. This is somebody under oath. This is somebody with credentials, you know, I couldn't even dream of. If I wanted any or any David Grush's credentials, I would have to start over in another life and then in my, you know, career path completely differently. He is trusted. He has access. He took about four years to come to these conclusions. This isn't just being grabbed out of thin air or like Kelly said, you know, something repeated that he heard over a few drinks. This is repeated evidence for claims that he himself, he said, he didn't believe initially. He had to keep digging to kind of convince himself that this is what we were looking at. It's it's huge. With the money being misappropriated, we have a real example of that too. Uh, Luis Elizondo, who ran ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace um, Threat, I forget the, the acronym now, uh, but basically they were looking at uh, the kinds of technologies that would be around in about 50 years' time and, and seeing what enemies or adversaries could actually point into the field. And the papers that were produced from that were, you know, there were some very sci-fi things. We're looking at warp drives and invisibility cloaking, as well as, you know, the Drake equation, which I mentioned earlier, which is just an estimate of how many civilizations there should be in, you know, the whole universe. Those, the money that was meant to go to ATIP was essentially, or we're told, given to a department head who took that money and gave it to another program. So Luella Zondo physically couldn't do his work because he wasn't being funded properly. We've heard of this happening with the UAP task force. We've heard of it happening with its follow-up that was pronounced, it's AOIMSG, it's pronounced AIMSOG. It's a very messy acronym. And we've heard that it's a a similar issue with Arrow. And in this year's legislation, we're we're seeing that they want to give a specific amount directly to Arrow. And it's being detailed exactly, you know, how they accessed it, how it's going to be directed to them so that nothing can be misappropriated uh, on, on this front. We also heard them want to invoke uh, a, an act that basically says uh, that they can target 
directly programs and defund them. That's kind of a big no-no usually, but this is a bipartisan issue that floats in the idea of you know, targeting these supposed legacy UAP back engineering programs and defunding them. As they always say, you know, follow the money, hit them where it hurts, take their money. I think this is essentially the toolkit that's being built through the legislation. They can deprive these, uh, these legacy programs of oxygen to the point where they have to come out the room and take a gasp of uh, air. Uh, Yaakov, since I can read a little Hebrew, presumably from Israel, says the behavior analysis guys are wrong, especially if it's true that Grush is on the spectrum of autism, then social cues are a horrible way to judge. Uh, I would have to agree, uh, not being a you know, an expert in this, but, uh, autism being on the spectrum, uh, would certainly affect that, I believe. Um, Kelly, uh, main point number two, and I've got five of them. Uh, that the government, and we found out in the hearing officially, that the government has recovered non-human biologics. Uh, David Grush admitted that he has not personally seen this, uh, but he knows multiple colleagues injured by UAPs, uh, that's what he says, and colleagues and personnel who have recovered non-human biologics. But what, I mean, obviously, the um, the rub against him is that he's hearing it secondhand or thirdhand and not firsthand. So um, as someone who is, you know, researching this constantly, how problematic is that in terms of getting to the bottom of it, in terms of getting to disclosure that we're not yet getting the firsthand evidence? Well, obviously, I think that we need to hear the firsthand evidence, right? That's going to be the thing that gets us there. But I think something that's really important for people to understand is that, like I said, this has been kind of a long-term chess game that's being played here. You know, as was mentioned earlier, David Grush helped to write the whistleblower legislation that was um, passed in December, and then he used that whistleblower legislation to come forward. Another really smart thing that he did through that process, though, is that he actually went to the DOD in April and told them, here are the specific things that I'm going to say publicly, and asked them to clear his statements. This process, though, that he used to get his statements cleared, what it doesn't mean is that the, the, the Pentagon is not saying we agree with these statements, it doesn't approve of them, and, it does, and it's not saying um, these statements are accurate. The only thing that this clearing process does is say that these statements are not a threat to national security. So... By doing that, he put the DOD in a really sticky situation. They could either say, no, you can't say these things because it's a threat to national security. But if it's not true, then how is it a threat to national security, right? And so they actually cleared him to say these things. So if he had been somebody who was within one of these special access programs, I think it would have been much more difficult for him to get those statements cleared because that would be somebody with direct knowledge. I think the thing that they were gambling on and that Grush was gambling on also was that because he had secondhand knowledge that they could just say, oh, it's all just hearsay. This is all just some stuff that he heard somewhere. It's not that serious. And I think that back in April, they really thought that they had a chance of sort of just brushing this under the rug and that no one was going to listen to it. But because he had that stuff cleared by the DOD, now suddenly he has those things that he is allowed to say. So he's been, because he only had secondhand information, he came forward. 
And I don't have any way to know this for sure, but my guess is, having followed this for a long time, that that was a very calculated move that was done on purpose. And that because he was willing to do that and put himself in the line of fire and come forward, that this is, he is now, you see him laying the groundwork for these other whistleblowers to come forward. And so I think that this has been like a much more kind of involved process that that's been very carefully planned by people within the intelligence community who understand really deeply how class the classification system works and how to play this game. And so it's really interesting to watch this unfold. And Kelly, do we know what Grush is doing now day to day? I mean, he's no longer in service, right? So, uh, I mean, he's laid low since, you know, since the hearing, since the interview with Ross Coldheart. Uh, any clue what he is doing on a day-to-day basis right now, besides getting a lot of calls well, for interviews? Right, exactly. Um, well, we do know that he joined an organization. Dan, is it called Soul? Is that what it's called? I forget the name, but there's he joined yeah. an organization. Yeah. And it's um, it was founded by Dr. Gary Nolan, who's not just a big name in... Um, the UFO world, but just in the science world in general. He's the chair of the pathology department at Stanford. So this is like a very, very smart guy. Um, and he started this organization to do this sort of research. Christopher Mellon um, is also a member of this organization. So it looks like he has kind of found um, a way to continue this work um, kind of outside of the government in the private sector. And I think we're going to see more of that as this moves forward. There's huge opportunities here for research and scientific advancements. Um, and where there's research and scientific advancements, there's the potential for people to be making money. So I think we're going to see more and more organizations like that uh, emerging in the private sector. So this won't just be something that the government owns anymore. That's interesting. If it goes to the private sector, I think that is always best uh, in terms of getting to disclosure. Uh, Carolina Garcia, uh, to you, Dan, these are interesting comments. We need proof. Are you willing to wait for it? But what's enough proof followed by uh, Lady Bohemia? All the videos, photos and sworn testimony is proof. How are those admissible in court, but not UAP disclosure? Uh, What is enough? Dan, when do we know we've reached that point? People ask me this all the time, and it's such a great question because it it shows that we're all coming from different perspectives, right? So to you, Joel, President Biden coming out on the White House lawn and, and announcing that this stuff is real and showing a little bit of material might be enough. For me, it would be, you know, a big worldwide scientific conference where they present their findings and really get into the nerdy details. For Kelly, I imagine it's something else. But what is enough and who presents the truth to the point where, you know, people would take it seriously is, is a really interesting kind of, you know, crossroads that's ahead of us. It's going to kind of have to be something undeniable. And when we say what's the proof as well, you know, for, for what is my question? If we're going to be looking at proof for extraterrestrials, then we're going to want to see, you know, a point of origin. We're going to want to see a full explainer as to why these things are extraterrestrial, what possible proof could we have that they didn't just develop on Earth, you know? If you pull a squid out of the ocean and you've never seen one before, you could convince someone that that, that thing was an alien unless they kind of, you know, knew the science and, and how life developed here on Earth. If it was multidimensional, there's there's a whole load of science you need to communicate to people before they can understand even what the truth is. So I feel like along this road, you know, since 2017 up till now with all of the whistleblowers coming out, we're kind of being educated as well as disclosed to so that we understand the truths we're being told. And 
Kelly, myself, and Vinny, we we think of ourselves as UAP centrists. You know, we're not on the left, we're not on the right, we're not in these extreme positions. We're just going to sit squarely in the middle and look at the data in front of us. We haven't seen data that says definitively that these are extraterrestrial. We've seen data that says definitively something weird is out there. And now it's up to us to, to go to the edge of the map, to find those monsters and explain them to the rest of humanity to the point where we see them as natural. And we're going to get to that, that weird stuff back back to that in a moment. But uh, back to you, uh, Dan, from Bob Fitterman. I'm surprised nobody has yet asked David Grush whether or not these vehicles have evidence of WMD, weapons of mass destruction. Can you imagine if they did, uh, it would be a game changer? Um, there are a lot of questions out there about, you know, if there is a, a, a non-human uh, a being of non-human origin, are they out to get us? Uh, how do you respond to this question? And a really interesting one. We we think of weapons of mass destruction as one thing. I, I was at the uh, the Air Force Museum here in Wright Patterson the other day, and I got to see the the bombs that you know they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, or the you know the the representations of them, and it was it was insane to see them, but. That's how we look at weapons of mass destruction. It's these big bombs that use a certain, you know, scientific chemical reaction to to go boom. When it comes to kind of space travel and those abilities, the, the WMD conversation changes. If we can fly through space, we can nudge a meteor towards a planet. That's going to wipe out so many more people than, than, you know, a laser gun or, you know, flying a plane into a building or, you know, using a bomb would. We can even imagine, you know, take, take the Tic Tac, for example. That was said to be able to travel real fast and stop on a dime. That thing could essentially come fast from orbit and land on the White House lawn and create a crater big enough and a shockwave big enough to wipe out most of the planet. No longer are we looking at these bombs. We're looking at the very vehicles themselves and how they're used. And the idea is that maybe, maybe this technology, what gives you access to this technology, is in itself something that could be used as a weapon of mass destruction, and that's why it's being kept close to their chest. It could be true. I really don't know, and that's the three words that you'll hear most. I don't know. But it's interesting to talk about, and we have to talk about it to progress forward. Uh, Mary says, I love thinking about how big and amazing the universe is. So fascinating to wonder where does the space come from to hold the universe if the universe did not exist 13 billion years ago? Uh, this is probably why I didn't pass algebra in high school. My mind is not made for this stuff. My head starts to explode. Um, so I will just read the comment and not even really try to process it. But um, Kelly, back to this uh, committee here. I'm hearing I'm slowly going through these five uh, major points on to number two about the non-human biologics. So Grush came out. Uh, he said he prefers to use the term non-human rather than alien or extraterrestrial. Uh, any, what's the reasoning behind that in a nutshell? I mean, I think it's the responsible way to move forward and really just indicates that we're just not totally sure what it is that we're dealing with. Um, within the UFO community, we talk about a lot of other buckets that this could potentially fall into. Um, there's obviously the interdimensional hypothesis. Um, there's the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis, which implies that this is something that's native to the Earth. Um, that might already be here. There's the breakaway civilization hypothesis that this could potentially be actually just a, a, an offshoot of humanity that is more advanced. Um, so there's a lot of different things that this could be. There's also the extra tempestrial model, as they call it, which is basically that this could be humans or from the future or other beings from the future that are time traveling. And all of these sound 
really fantastical. But when we look at the evidence, a lot of these do fit a little bit better than the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But I think that even those, we shouldn't get too married to any of them because what we're dealing with is so different. We've never encountered an intelligent species that was more advanced than us and smarter than us. And we don't know what that even looks like or what it could mean. And so I think we have to keep our minds really open. And we use these different buckets to kind of discuss the different things that it could be. But probably what we're dealing with is going to be surprising and complex in ways that we can't even really anticipate right now. So I think that, you know, just calling it non-human intelligence is really the best way forward. And I'm so happy to see that language emerging, you know, not just in front of Congress, but in legislation. I think it's really important. And uh, just to round out uh, important point number two from the committee hearing out of five, uh, Representative Eric Burleson, a Republican now from Missouri, um, he said to substantiate the crashed UAP claims uh, that David Grush, the former uh, intelligence official, uh, when asked to substantiate those claims, said, uh, that the information was too sensitive uh, to share with the public, Dan. Um, and this is where I got confused. Um, he also went on to say that, that the nature of what he saw um, was, and I quote here, I have to be very careful, but what I personally witnessed, myself and my wife, was very disturbing. That I, I'm confused, and it's just because I don't know the subject matter that well. Because didn't he say he did not see things firsthand? So what is he referring to here? Yeah, the, the comment about his wife was a little confusing to me. Uh, I also flagged that when I was watching because it sounded like they'd had an experience that they'd seen something together. And then later on, David Grush said, no, you know, I have not had an experience. So that seemed contradictory. But you actually highlight uh, another way of thinking about it that, you know, Grush through his conversations had his world shattered and would turn to the person he loves the most cares most for in the world to have conversations about, you know, what it meant, what they may have seen. Um, I don't want to say that he showed his wife classified material, but, you know, we, we all kind of talk about secrets with our loved ones, you, you know, and, and kind of share more than we should. So perhaps that's what happened. Um, it's not really for, for me to say, you know, that's something that I'd love to ask Rush myself, because, um, yeah, it certainly seemed to allude to them having an experience. But it's interesting if he has had an experience, because he'll have a little bit more insight on what it is people are experiencing and how they are defining it. Grush isn't the kind of person to see a light in the sky and automatically say it's extraterrestrials. He's the kind of person to see the light in the sky and say, it's 1904, the weather is clear, I've got 30 miles of visibility and a light hangs in the sky. This is an objective guy who, who judges things well. So yeah, it, it's a curious comment and it's ultimately something I'd like to follow up on myself. Um, Kelly, um, so uh, on to uh, important point number three from the hearing. Uh, Ryan Graves, for those of you who do not know, he's a former Navy pilot. Uh, these are not, they're, they're not nobodies, these people. They are big somebodies. It's not easy to become uh, a Navy pilot. Uh, he told the panel that military pilots do not feel adequately briefed on UAPs, which he says leaves them unprepared to respond uh, to UAP encounters, and his here's his quote, there has to be a safe and transparent reporting process for pilots both on the commercial side and the military side to be able to report UAPs. Uh, then Re Representative Virginia Fox, again, a Republican from North Carolina, um, and she was talking about 
Arrow, which is the all-domain anomaly resolution office, uh, echoed the calls for more transparency, noting that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who's controversial, he is the head of this Arrow uh, agency, uh, he had previously told Congress that there was no credible evidence of extraterrestrial life. So I just threw a lot at you. The first point is about transparency. Um, do you think we're going to get to a place where there is a government agency where these people can go and be transparent? I hope so. If we're going to really show, you know, the men and women of our military the respect that they deserve and protect them in the ways that we should be, then we absolutely should. I had a really smart lady on my podcast a few months ago. Her name is Dr. Ia Whiteley, and she's um, a space psychologist. She works with astronauts who go to space. Um, but she also had a really interesting in her uh, job in her career where she was working on the team that basically tried to get rid of the culture of shame and blame in the in the commercial aviation industry. So what they were discovering is that pilots were getting punished for like minor mistakes or for like if they weren't feeling quite, you know, safe to make a landing somewhere at an airport, they would, you know, a pilot, if they were being responsible, would be like, you know what, let me take one more circle around and get this right. But because they would get in trouble for that, for like using too much gas and that sort of thing, pilots were making decisions that weren't the best decisions for the pilots or the passengers on board in the name of sort of these larger corporate interests. And so what Dr. Ia Whiteley and her team did with the commercial aviation industry was to come in and to really change that culture of shame and blame, to, you know, allow the experts to do their jobs and to, you know, make the right decisions in the moment and to support them in that and to not shame and blame them for mistakes, but to then find out, to, to get curious about those mistakes and figure out what caused them so that they can fix them. And I think that that's the kind of transformation that we need to see within our military. And I hope that that's where we're headed because, you know, these this culture of shame and blame that we still see in the military is putting the lives of our, you know, men and women in the military at risk. And we owe them better than that. Um, Dan, so uh, this representative from uh, North Carolina, Virginia Fox, she basically uh, came, you know, came out during the the hearing and said that this guy, Dr. Shanker Patrick, who I know, you know, uh, runs the Pentagon's uh, Arrow Division. Um, he said that there was no credible evidence. And then Grush jumped on that and said that's exactly why we need transparency because there's all this contradiction uh in you know within the government within you know between government officials between the pilots and the government officials uh does he make a valid point that there there really needs to be some sort of streamlined way for these air force pilots and commercial pilots who are seeing things to be able to freely come forward yeah a hundred percent you know when the Pentagon says things, we, we have to be mindful of the language that they use. You know, they're using certain terms to kind of thread the needle, we like to say. So when the Pentagon and Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick says, I've seen no credible evidence of extraterrestrial life, what they're not talking about is the general umbrella of non-human intelligence. And that's probably why we're seeing that term come into play now, because it's not, it might not be ET, it might be something else. And technically, by saying they haven't seen evidence of ET, the Pentagon aren't lying, nor was Dr. K when he said it. It wasn't too long ago that uh, Susan Goff, the, the spokesperson for the DOD, gave a statement to the Liberation Times where she said, when we say extraterrestrials, we're not including non-human intelligence. So just like 
when you know we search for UFOs, turns out that we're using the term UAP instead. We've been asking for stuff that's all about extraterrestrials when we should have been asking for things about non-human intelligence. This is kind of a learning curve for all of us, you know, no matter what side we're on, whether we're skeptics or believers or in between. We've got to know the correct questions to ask to get those correct answers. Someone like David Grush sits at the crossroads between us and the government because he's given us these little tip-offs of things to talk about, but at the same time, trying not to reveal any classified information. So according to you know him and many others that have spoken to him, he's given them the targets, the exact locations and people to speak to, to go and verify what he's saying. All we need now is a system where these people can be transparent and they can come forward and know that they can trust the person that's running that transparent department. So seeing something like a, a study or a, a team independent of the Department of Defense would be the way for this to go because people would have more trust in that. They don't necessarily have a, you know, a horse in the race. Currently, we're dealing with Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, who has an Air Force background. So the trust isn't really there based on the Air Force history with the subjects. So hopefully, you know, in the next half a year to a year, we'll see this department moved out from under the umbrella of the DOD, where it's got a bit more access and a bit more teeth and is probably run by someone who we feel is a bit more uh, genuine and a bit more interested. The one term that keeps coming up with Kirkpatrick when I ask people about him is that he loves chess, but he's realized the board is rigged. And when he made a statement on LinkedIn just about a week or so ago, complaining that he was complained about in the hearings, that to me kind of felt like him falling on his own sword. Apparently he shouldn't have done it. He said it was a, a personal opinion and then he spoke for Arrow in the last paragraph, making it an official opinion when he shouldn't have. So we might see him essentially be fired soon because of that statement and someone will replace him who, who's a bit more active in the UAP transparency game. Yeah, that was odd that he he did it on LinkedIn, which was really strange being a, a government official. Uh, regular Nintendo, thank you for the super sticker, but I should be paying you for your creativity. I have a favor to ask about UAPs. I'm in a grush to find out. The situation is graves. Can we just disclose already? Thank you. That is all. Uh, that is a... Uh, uh, for Dan and Kelly, a dream come true uh, right there. Good job, regular Nintendo. Um, so point number four I was going to bring up. So um, Graves came out and basically said in so many words that stigma really silences potential witnesses coming forward. And he actually formed his own group, a first of its kind group for uh, whistleblowers and advocates uh, to come forward um, and maybe this group will, will speak out at a, at a future hearing. So that's great news. Um, Kelly, to you, Luel Elizondo is obviously a big figure in this world and Christopher Mellon. Uh, are they going to be dropping major bombs in the near future? Lou has been uh, cryptic regarding his hard work. I should ask you this, Dan, because I think you were just with him for full disclosure. Uh, he's doing behind the scenes. Uh, and I've also read that Jeremy Corbell was going to come out with something uh, not long after the David Grush interview uh, with uh, Ross Coldhart, but um, how far away are we from getting these bombs from guys that you know, like Lou Elizondo? I mean, I think we're going to get them. The question is when. Um, you know, there's a lot of rumors that we hear in, in the community and that sort of thing. Um, I try not to put too much stock in them. I take them as a data point and then I wait to see what happens. Um, but like I said earlier, I really do see this as being a years-long campaign. You know, this is a really complex chess game that's been played. 
Um, I think we have every indication and reason to believe that Lou Elizondo has been, you know, a major player in all of this, whether, you know, even though he's been maybe not quite as public lately. Um, and I would expect us to see Lou uh, at the exact moment that he has planned in the future, which who knows when that might be. But I, I would be very surprised if we don't have a major moment from Lou Elizondo um, coming. And I think it's probably the, the pace of all of this has moved faster than I think most of us would have expected already. So, you know, I never like to make predictions that I can't back up. But if it happened in the next six to 12 months, I would not be at all surprised. Uh, Dan, um, you were just you were just with Lou. So, what's the inside scoop, Dan? Yeah. So, I mean, there's only certain things that I can talk about because I'm, um, you know, you you don't gain someone's trust by being untrustworthy. But um, I, I would simply say, you know, Lou, Lou was writing a book, a tell-all book about his time uh, in the military, his time running the ATIP or the UAP program for the DoD, and when that comes out, well, you know, I expect it to be few bombs in there. There's a whole host of his history that he hasn't spoken about that he will be speaking about. Uh, it probably has to go through the same review process as the. Uh, there was a book released by people that were involved in what's called the ORSAT program, which was to do with Skinwalker Ranch. They had to put their, their book through a DOPSA process, which essentially they go through it with a, a fine-tooth comb and say, you can say this, you can't talk about this, you can say this, you can't talk about this. Exactly what Grush experienced in a different way. So will essentially get a book that might have chunks missing out of it. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to ask, you know, who removed those bits of the book? Who wanted those gone? Um, that would be enough food to, to feed the UFO community for a solid few months while we chase up those leads, I think. And, and maybe after that, we'll see a movie adaptation of the book and, and you know, we can have those Jeremy Renner as Luella Zondo posters on our wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you've already cast it, Dan. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Lou, vote for the record, Lou says that he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't think Jeremy Renner should play him. It should be someone like Danny DeVito. I disagreed, but I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> um, this is one of the most common things you hear, uh, Kelly, from Sean College. Uh, do you think all this UFO material is just a framework for yet another psyop in preparation for the deep state to roll out a fake invasion on We the People? to bring out the new world order. There are a lot of people who think that this is just some sort of psychological operation. Um, how do you respond to those people? I mean, I'd say that if that was the case, I'd expect them to be doing a much better job of it. You know, this <laughs> has been an absolute fight to get this stuff out into the open. You know, Dan and I um, know a lot of the people who are working behind the scenes very closely on this and understand the work that's gone into this, decades of work that's gone into this. And we've been fought every single step of the way, you know, and if, if the government wanted to fake a big invasion and do all of this, like the president would be on TV talking about it. Um, we wouldn't have situations like we had with this, the original article with David Grush where, you know, the major outlets it, we're playing hot potato with it. Nobody would could seem to be able to, you know, get the cojones to say, you know, we're going to run with this story. Um, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and a bunch of other outlets all passed on this on this story initially. And you know, what I was hearing from my sources is that they were getting, you, you know, a lot of these bigger outlets they have relation they have relationships that they build with the government, with Congress, and with the Department of Defense. And so, if they, you know 
step out of line too much, then suddenly they're not getting the sources and the info that they would have had before. So there's that kind of pressure going on. So I would just say like, if this was a PSYOP, they'd be doing a much better job. And, you know, 90, I think we're still at a point where probably 80 to 90% of the American people are maybe vaguely aware of this, but don't really think it's that big of a deal or don't think it's real. Um, And I think that if the deep state really wanted to convince people of something that they'd be doing a better job. I, I also well, want to just go ahead and just say that, you know, a lot of people who ask this question, they're thinking of something called Project Bluebeam and whether they get that from mm-hmm. Stephen Greer, a character in the community or someone else. Bluebeam is the idea that the government are going to use hologram technologies to fake an alien invasion so that they can, you know, overtake our lives and, and treat us like cattle. Um, originally, Bluebeam was actually to do with religious figures, with showing certain people, you, you know, for example, someone that lived in Israel, a, a hologram of Jesus and getting to, them to act a certain way. It's very different to kind of what the, you know, the, the game of telephone version of Blue Book has, has led us to thinking. We also have to be really careful when we're talking about PSYOP, because that is an of itself a conspiracy theory. So we're essentially just switching one conspiracy theory for another conspiracy theory. It doesn't solve anything. So once again, you know, I say stay the course. If if this is something not aliens, it's still fascinating. If it is aliens or, or you know, any of the other options we've all discussed tonight, then as you say, it's it's the biggest moment for mankind, perhaps since we crawled out of the ocean. Uh, I am not T-Pain backing me up here. Press the like button or else you will get probed by aliens and you will not enjoy it. Do me a favor. Just hit that like button. It helps the algorithm. As my daughter says, it gets the algorithm chugging. So uh, please do us that sweet favor and hit the like button. Uh, the final thing I wanted to get to from this hearing, uh, and then we'll just start to close out, um, that these UAPs are moving at supersonic speeds. And it came from David Fravor, a former Navy commander. Uh, again, a former Navy commander. This is not a guy uh, who was working at a, a 7-Eleven. Uh, no offense to anyone working at a 7-Eleven, but this is a high valued uh, position in the United States military. He he uh, spotted the so-called Tic Tac UAP back in 2004. That's almost, what, 20 years ago? Is that 20 years ago? I don't know what my math is. Anyway, um, it had no rotors, no wings, no exhaust, according to him, and then it just simply vanished. It defied all logic. Um, and he said that the technology, this is a quote here, the technology that we faced is far superior to anything that we have, and there's nothing we can do about it, nothing. Um, Kelly, that's a very sobering statement from a guy with his vast experience uh, in the skies above the uh, United States and elsewhere in a military jet. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that that is, it's a sobering thought. And I think that we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that you know, as we learn more about what this phenomenon is and, you know, what's happening here, that we might get some answers that we that we don't like. But I don't think that there is reason for, like, absolute despair either. You know, listening, we, we already knew within the UFO community that this, you know, thing dates back to at least the 1940s. David Gresh seems to indicate that it may date back until the 1930s. And we have indications that the UFO phenomenon has been with us basically throughout human history. You know, we have accounts of um, Roman soldiers going into battle um, with flying shields in the sky over them. And the Roman shields, they look exactly like flying saucers. So, you know, this is not something that's new to humanity. And so, 
you know, yes, it's sobering to think that this is something that's so much more advanced than we are and could have technology that we can't even conceive of. But at the same time, um, they've kind of always been here. This is, it seems like this is an ongoing relationship that we've had with whatever this is. So, you know, and we're still here. So I don't think that there's reason to panic, but I do think that we need to prepare ourselves to hear some things that might make us uncomfortable. Um, and then we talked about uh, Dr. Sh- uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick, who runs uh, Arrow, which is uh, the Department of Defense Intelligence uh, uh, Division of the uh, DOD there. Um, and he, he was really livid uh, in this letter. He says, I cannot let yesterday's hearing pass without sharing how insulting it was to the officers of the Department of Defense and Intelligence community who chose to join Arrow, many with uh, not unreasonable anxieties about the career risks this would entail. These are truth seekers, as am I, but you certainly would not get that impression from the hearing. Um, he says, Arrow has yet to find any credible evidence to support the allegation of any reverse engineering program for non-human technology. And then he sort of took a pot shot at Grush saying, contrary to assertions made in the hearing, the central source of those allegations has refused to speak with Arrow, uh, but he never actually mi- uh, mentioned David Grush. So uh, you can see uh, the leaders in government can get uh, quite perturbed. And then um, Dan also mentioned uh, the Pentagon spokesperson. Her name is Sue Gao. Um, she denied uh, other allegations made by David Grush uh, before this House Oversight Committee, saying that the Pentagon has no, this is a quote, has no information that any individual has been harmed or killed as a result of providing information, uh, any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently, that there is no verifiable information. Um, so yeah, there is, uh, they're, they're taking a hard stance. The government does not like to be questioned in general. Uh, I experienced that again firsthand as a reporter um, and this is the pushback that you get, um, and it is a back and forth, and sometimes it can get a little ugly. Um, to you, Dan, and again, I'm not sure what this is about, but you will. Any thoughts on the censored satellite imagery specifically mentioned in the Grush hearing and by Chris Mellon? Static image of something on Earth, tracking an object, or space or ocean? Thanks. So, I mean, great question and great uh, ideas at the end there. It could be any of those things. And all of those things at the same time. Ultimately, to, to use an example, the Tic Tac case happened in 2004 when when Fravor and Dietrich and, and all those other pilots encountered the Tic Tac off the off the Californian coast. During that time, there would have been satellites flowing overhead that would have been taking imagery while she, looking down. That imagery seems to be inaccessible without some level of clearance or classification and, and things like that. So, what? we want to do is not just have access to it, but also apply what's known as kind of fingerprinting to it, where we can make, uh, you, you know, an AI system. And when I say we, I don't mean, you know, Kelly and I, um, I'm, I'm not a coder. I can't speak for Kelly, but I certainly wouldn't be able to do it. But you could apply systems to these images that would pick out the images um, with UAP in them or signatures that identify UAP. And by signatures, all I mean is a fingerprint. We saw a real example of this earlier this year with the the Chinese balloon shoot down and the three other objects that we've never seen. Um, All of those were found because 
the radar's apertures were essentially opened up. It was told, don't just tell us the things that you can already identify. Tell us the other things that are outside of our scope that we think of as anomalies. Now, these things could have been anything, but the point is there was something there in the space that we weren't bothered to looking at because of inbuilt assumptions. We need to lose those assumptions now and look at this this satellite imagery, um, whether it's, you know, uh, electromagnetic data, whether it's data about, you know, the density of water and things like that uh, around the planet. If we can bring all that data together, then we can see proper trends. We can see full kind of record of what's here on Earth with us, and we can study it properly. Apparently, a lot of these images have UAP in them, but we can't even look at them to say whether that's nonsense or not. We all need to look at them. UAP transparency needs to happen. And at the very least, the elected members of Congress, that the people elected themselves, that they trust, they should have access to these and they should be able to, to you know, decide whether to treat the rest of us as adults or not. And that's where it seems to come down to is that somebody at some point in history decided that Kelly and Joel and everybody watching this and everyone around the earth, they decided that you weren't ready to hear that truth. People like David Grush thinks that that's a decision they shouldn't have got to make. It's up to you guys whether you want to, you know, swallow that truth and incorporate it into your daily lives. So it's high time the government treated people like adults and it seems to be happening. Uh, I'm sure Kelly and I would be the first people to, to burn the house down uh, if it turned out to be nothing. But, you know, we're along for the ride. We're looking with hopefully an objective analysis and trying to translate for, for folk like yourself, Joel, and, and your audience. And really, yeah, educate about keeping an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. We are getting to the very end here. I wanted to acknowledge our favorite troll, Modine, uh, one that we don't kick out of the chat. Uh, aliens, I can confirm Lee Green, he says. He's been uh, chirping away, Mo, so I wanted to get you in there. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I had teased this in the beginning, Kelly, uh, Captain Kirk, William Shatner, um, he came out in an interview with News Nation and he says that the claims made at this hearing were absolutely ridiculous. And he goes on. This is a direct quote. You mean some highly intelligent being goes 10,000 light years with advanced technology, arrives here and hides. It doesn't make any sense. If they're going to make that journey all the way here, it just begs the ima uh, the imagination that they would hide and make it and make it like peekaboo. I'm here. No, I'm not here. Uh, and he goes on. I mean, what could we want more than to realize that there are other life forms in the universe that have the same yearnings? What's the universe about? What's after death? I mean, the monumental questions would abound and they would be asking the same questions, but they're not here. If they were they would make their presence known. Uh, what would you say to William Shatner if you saw him at a Star Trek convention? Well, first I'd ask for his autograph. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can disagree and still, and still love each other, right? Um, <laughs> but I do disagree with William Shatner. I think that there's a lot of assumptions that he has built into that argument. You know, as we've talked about, you know, just even the idea that why would they fly, you know, 10,000 light years and then come here and hide? Well, maybe they didn't. Um, maybe maybe they've always been here or maybe there's some other reason that we can't see them. Maybe there's something fundamentally different than we are. Maybe they work a different way. Um, maybe they're under the oceans. You know, we, we've explored, I think like less than 5% of the floors of our ocean. It makes up over 70% of our planet. 
So there's a lot of, there could be a lot of reasons and a lot of places where these things could hide. I think without having any information about what these beings are, where they came from, what their motivations are, we don't even know what they eat for lunch or if they have lunch. So I don't think that we can make assumptions about what they would or they wouldn't do. Um, I think that that's just putting the, the horse before the cart. And we have to be really careful to pay attention to what is evidence that we actually have that we can point to and what are just sort of our built-in assumptions that are given to us, you know, specifically through the media, through stuff like, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and sci-fi and the stuff, you know, that stuff is all great and it provides a great framework for us to talk through these things, but that is not science. And we can't make our assumptions based on those things. We have to follow the data. Uh, I want to thank Vinny again, Vinny Adams, who's on the show for the first 50 minutes or so out of the UK, where it is uh, the early morning hours. Uh, he is a UK-based UFO UAP researcher. Uh, he's also a member of UAP Media UK. Uh, he hosts uh, the Disclosure podcast, Disclosure Team, um, and uh, is an all-around great guy. So uh, check him out. Uh, Disclosure Team is uh, the name of his group and the name of his YouTube uh, channel. So check it out, support him, please. Um, and support Kelly and Dan too. Uh, Kelly, um, Hagen Will says, hey everybody and greetings. So did they do the skip thing after the streamed hearing where Grush could talk about classified data? I don't think they did, but they're gonna get to that. Someone earlier posed an interesting question. Uh, first, let me just remind everyone, who you are, for those who don't know, Kelly Chase is the host of the UFO Rabbit Hole. You can see that behind her. Uh, please check out her channel and support her. Uh, she's now doing this full time, as she says. She is very passionate about leveraging her skills and expertise to support UFO disclosure. Hopefully we'll get there. Um, someone posed an interesting question, which I'll ask you. If you could get into a skiff uh, with David Grush, what would you ask him? And what is next? Uh, after these hearings? Oh, that's such a fun question. Um, we'd probably be in that skiff for a long time because I think the question that I would ask is, um, as far as you know, based on the evidence, what is the real history of the 20th century? Because I think that what we have to recognize from all of these revelations is that if even 10% of this is true, then fundamentally, we don't know what the history of the 20th century is. Enough has been hidden from us that we don't know necessarily why wars were fought. You know, there's all kinds of things that were that were hidden from us. And so I think we'd be in there a long time. Um, as for what comes next, uh, I think we're all going to be looking to Congress. They're out of session right now, which to be honest, as excited as I am about disclosure, I'm almost, it's almost sort of relief. I bet Dan's sort of feeling it too. It's a lot to keep up with. So we get, we get August to kind of mellow, but I think that this is going to kick off full force again in September once they're back in session. I think that we should be hopefully looking to see more hearings um, and potentially more legislation if, that, if they deem that necessary. Um, hopefully we are going to start to hear from some of these firsthand whistleblowers and having other people coming forward to corroborate David Grush's claims. You know, as we've talked about already, um, a lot of them were waiting to see how, you know, David Grush was treated by Congress and by the American people. I think we're encouraged to see that Congress really telegraphed in very certain terms during that hearing that they absolutely are not going to stand for the intimidation 
um, of witnesses. And so I'm really hopeful that there's going to be enough traction there, there for us to start seeing more of them coming forward. And once we get to that point, I think that's the watershed moment, hopefully, where the American people and the world as a whole start to really wake up to this. Well said. Uh, Michelle Burns, great information. Kelly, thank you. Could not agree more. Uh, Jenny, meow, meow. My fingers are crossed. I have to uh, agree with her here that the non-human intelligence are a race <laughs> of super smart dogs. Uh, let us all hope that that is, uh, in fact, the case. By the way, we foot the bill and uh, Congress is out for the month while we all work. Wish I could take the entire month of August off. That would be nice. Uh, Dan Setterstrom. Newly engaged, everyone, co-host of That UFO Podcast. He's a boots-on-the-ground UAP investigator. Uh, he's appeared in documentaries uh, such as Phenomenology and uh, is an all-around great guy. Uh, he's been a guest before. Hopefully, Kelly and him will come back. Same question to you, Dan. If you're in a skiff with Dave Grush, what do you ask him and what is next after these hearings? I kind of have what might be a copper answer for that Dave Grush one. Um, I, I would ask him to tell me a question that people aren't asking and to answer it for me. Um, if he laughed at me and said that's cop out, then I would ask him about technology and what technology he knows exists um, that could help the world immediately, you know, help people in, in global South countries, help people kind of generate power and, and really change their lives that way. You know, what medical technology exists, if it exists, that can get rid of cancers and all sorts of things we take for granted. Um, I was going to choose Kelly's question, but she asked it already, so I'm not going to make David Grush. Uh, I assume we're in the skiff together in this example, so I'm not going to make him repeat himself. <laughs> um, what comes next, I think, would be hopefully... Um, a whole lot more media attention, a whole lot more attention from the people. And really, we, we need to look to history and feel heartened by things like the civil rights movements and things like that, where people have put their thumb on the scales and they really tip the, the balance to, towards, you know, morality and justice in, in the world. You can absolutely do that. The, the saying goes that, you know, give, give me a lever and a fulcrum big enough and I'll move the world. I, it's up to us to use our voices to let our elected officials, to let people at NASA, to let people who write the news know that this is something that we want to drill down into and solve. Once we do that, we'll kind of start getting a lot more collaboration. Um, those hearings in the future that we should see in the Senate as well, those will be huge because, you know, that's the executive as opposed to the non-winning uh, non party. That's something that, that is actionable. So we'll probably see an independent uh, office set up that's outside the purview of the DOD so that we won't get any of those tricksy, woody sentences that Susan Goff uh, is, is evidently hired to write. As Kelly said, we'll also see more legislation. It's my hope that in the legislation we'll see a bit more um, stick than carrot, so to speak. At the moment, they've kind of just said, you can come forward and share your evidence with us. Very realistically, the people that have this evidence could look at it and just roll their eyes and go back to studying it. What I'd like to see is is a little bit more teeth in the legislation to say, you know what, if we find out you touch this in any way, shape or form, you're going to jail for the rest of your lives for crimes against humanity. I think that's the, the you know, they're the, that's what we're playing with. They're the stakes right now. Anyone who isn't bringing this forward for the public good is keeping humanity from progressing and from knowing its place in the universe. And, and that's just a crime. Mm. 
Um, I could listen to these guys all day, uh, specifically Dan, because of that British accent, that soft British accent, uh, something about that Brit accent that I do love. Uh, PB in North Carolina, I think it's uh, even pretty presumptuous to assume that other life forms need water and oxygen to live. What do we know? Uh, I do know the answer to this. Does anyone know the name of Kelly's YouTube channel, the UFO Rabbit Hole uh, podcast. That is her show, the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast. And uh, Dan's is that UFO podcast. Uh, is that right? That UFO podcast. Yeah, that that's correct. correct. Yeah. I got it right. Okay. <laughs> a quick programming note for everyone. Uh, it is late on a Sunday night here. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, we are looking into the Alicia Navarro case. It is super interesting. Uh, she basically ran away from home at the age of 14. Now she's 18. She went in, told police she's in Montana. She's now an adult. She's with a 36-year-old man. What happens next? Uh, what are the implications of all this? We are going to look at that tomorrow night with some of the people uh, tied to this case currently. And then Tuesday night, we did this a few months back. Uh, six women showed up dead in the Portland area. Uh, officials came out right away and said they were not connected. Well, guess what? While I was away, they came out and said that at least four of the murders are connected, which would mean there's a serial killer in Portland. We're going to be examining that uh, Tuesday evening. And then Wednesday, 1230 p.m., a lunch live. We are going back to the Long Island serial killer. We have a company, uh, the leaders of Othram. They helped identify uh, using science, they helped identify this latest victim who was just ID'd on uh, Friday doing really important work. And uh, is it possible, is it possible that the remaining uh, Jane Doe's and toddler Doe uh, or Joe Doe, because there's a male still unidentified, will we get their identities? We're going to ask uh, the head of Othram that question come Wednesday, 12.30 p.m. Until then, Love you, America. Love you, Ohio. Love you, Asheville, North Carolina. Love you, the UK, Australia, Canada, the United States. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This 
is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 